0: And welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about open source sustainability, sustaining open source for the long haul. I am, of course, your host, Richard Litauer. Hello, everyone. And I'm here today at State of the Open, State of Open 2023 UK in London, which is very exciting. This is my first in-person podcast, which I've never done before, So I'm actually looking at my guests and like they're not on a screen very weird. My guest today is someone we've had on the podcast before, but very excited to have her here with us. Ruth Cheesley. Ruth, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. A little bit tired after coming back from Fosden yesterday, but yeah, doing really good. I'm really excited to be here.
0: I'm really glad to have you here. You may be able to hear listeners. There's some talking in the background. That's because one of the keynotes is going on at the moment, and we have instead snuck away to not listen to Labour's Shadow MP. Sorry about that. But instead, hang out in this bizarre podcast room. Hope the echo isn't too bad. Talk about open source sustainability so with that in mind let's get to it now ruth Chiefley, for our guests who don't know you you are the community head for Mautic. can you talk a bit about what that is and what your role entails
1: yeah so i work full-time for apia at the moment doing project lead for Mautic. And that involves everything from setting the direction of the project and deciding kind of where we're going in the future, down to the day-to-day nitty gritty of does this pull request get merged or not, setting up community governance and teams, empowering others to contribute, removing roadblocks, organizing events. We're a small but growing community, so a lot of it does still come back to me on the day-to-day side of things.
0: This is really interesting. I haven't thought about this before. I don't think I've asked anyone on the podcast this. Can you tell me what your recurring tasks are specifically that you have to do throughout the week? Because I feel like a lot of people know that community management is a thing, but they don't yeah. know how to schedule it. For instance, I'm atrocious. I am horrible at checking Slack yeah. on a daily basis and being like, hello, everyone. Yeah. And I'm just curious, Like, do you have a list of things you have to do every day and the things that you do every week? And I wonder what those
1: are. I'm a big fan of automating stuff as much as possible. And I follow GTD as a process. Getting things done. Yeah, getting things done. So I try to like minimize the number of inboxes where stuff that I need to do comes into. Yeah. And that really helps me. So every day I do a quick sweep of what's on the calendar. What have I maybe not planned for? And there will be things that I do every day. Every day I check. Slack mentions, GitHub mentions, yep. forum mentions, but they all come into the same place. So I'm not having to go to this Which is your Gmail? No, they come into Slack. Okay, cool. Yeah. So we get notifications coming into Slack, cool. the, okay, the yeah. integrations and mentions and pull request reviews usually because I have to do something, they actually go into my to-do list. So the first thing I do in the day is go through my Slack and check all of the stuff in Slack and then... So that's, that's definitely a recurring thing. Cool. Respond to anything. We also have a couple of automated tasks in the community. So we're trialing a re-engagement message. So if people start to become inactive on Slack, it, it automates a message to say, hey, how's everything going? Sure. And the replies to that come to me which is great because I'm having lots of pretty nice conversations with people that I wouldn't normally have. So that will also be something that I just, it's just a two minutes in the morning thing. But I block time out in my calendar first thing in the morning, after lunch and before I finish for the day to yeah. do those things, yeah. to do those adminy boring things. I weekly have to make time for me to contribute in the way I want to contribute to the project because otherwise yeah. I don't get to do the stuff that I really enjoy doing. So that's an hour on a Friday that I have in my calendar. And other recurring things, so every Friday we have Open Source Friday and we do a sprint where we give people direction of these are the things that we're working on this week. So either myself or one of the team in the community will prioritize a list of things that we want people to help with testing or things that we need people to work on us. Like we need these fixes, bugs to be done as soon as we can or the marketing team needs some help to do this. So that's usually something I do on a Friday and trying to encourage people on the Friday to get involved. So those are primary things, I think. We have OKRs in the yeah. company. So I also every week do an update of what I've done this Quarterly. week. Yeah, but I find it helpful just to update for my own. Yeah. If I don't regularly revisit things, I don't remember them. So on a Friday, again, I just have like half an hour update OKRs and it makes me go back and look at, oh, this is what I was supposed to be focusing on this week versus what I ended up focusing on.
0: So GTD, OKRs, recurring blocks in the calendar, daily sweeps of Slack and minimizing inboxes. Excellent tips. I love that so much. I just checked. I have 947 people around in the open source channel on Slack. So... Your recurring messages, does that go to everyone in Acreo Slack or everyone in Maltix? Or how did you set up the community re-engagement? Hey, how are you doing?
1: That's in the Maltix Slack.
0: Yeah. And that
1: is using commonroom.io. Okay. It's got some really handy workflows, like new onboarding workflows when people first join, but also there's... The re-engagement so if they've not been active in slack for 90 days i think it is interesting it just sends them a message saying hey how's everything going yeah. a lot of people just ignore it and think why is he sending me a message
0: which is fair and <laughs> it sounds like a bot too saying, it's like, just yeah.
1: but it to... comes from me and,
0: and it goes back to me
1: and the replies come from me so and a vast number of people don't realize it's automated so that's yeah. quite nice as well but now they do obviously <laughs> <laughs>
0: This is a a low listening podcast.
1: So it's quite nice because it means that I'm engaging with people and it's an opportunity for me to hear how people in the community are using the product and they're having difficulties if they knew they could contribute. We've had some people actually become contributors as a result of those conversations. Right? I've said, oh, did you know that you could help us as a marketer because we really need help with improving the newsletter or writing our pitch deck or whatever. I just wouldn't even know that those people were in the community and interested in engaging. Yeah. So that's been a really interesting pilot. Initially, I thought oh, I was just going to swamp me with messages, but it's maybe one every two or three days. So, okay.
0: No, that's not bad. It's
1: not too bad. Yeah. yeah, it's not too bad.
0: I have a scripture that I wrote. Well, actually, it was written for me. It'd be I helped me out with that. I say, I it a bit an email that I get every morning from a list of friends I want to keep in touch with. And so it says, my dearest Richard, I don't know how long it's been, but maybe you should contact David Arnold. Today.
1: Yeah.
0: I have the honor to be your obedient servant, Richard <laughs> And You uh, can delete it or not, but it's just yeah. a way of reminding me, oh, you haven't talked to this person in six months. That's how friendships are. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Connect. Yeah. And so you know,
0: most of the days I delete it and sometimes just like, hey, Dave, how are you doing? So that feels like that where it's automated, but it's automated in a way that the person is still in the mix.
1: Yeah, I use a CRM called Monica that's an open source CRM. You don't have Savannah I anymore? Mean? Yeah. Personally. You it. So it. Yeah, Monica
0: yeah. lives. Yeah.
1: Uh, that sends me like reminders for birthdays. Like, you really should order <laughs> flowers for your mother's birthday. That does the same. Like, if I've got friends yeah. who I don't see very yeah. often, it reminds me like once a month or whatever to just check in with them. Or, yeah, it's important, that kind of thing, I think. It
0: is. Yeah. So, Ruth, how long have you been working at Monica?
1: Just over three years, maybe three and a half years. I mean, I've been using Wattic since 2015, cool. so I've been using it for a long time. Can you tell me
0: what you did beforehand?
1: Well, originally I qualified as a sports scientist and then did a physiotherapy degree. So yeah, yeah but I've always been very geeky. I started out in web design. When I qualified as a physio, it's very difficult to get your first job mm-hmm. and I needed to earn. So I got a job as an IT technician in a school and they asked me to build a website. And the list of demands that they wanted was growing. And I thought there's got to be a better way to do this than me writing all of this like from scratch. There yep. has to be a way to not reinvent the wheel. And I didn't even know what I was looking for. I can remember finding wikis and being like, no, it's, that's not what I want. And then I came across this word CMS yep. and I was like, ah, oh, that's what I'm after. Yep. And I was looking for open source because they had no budget. They basically wanted me to build it. And I came across a couple of projects mentioning no names where the, I was not very well welcomed and the resources assumed that you were already a very experienced developer, which I was not. And I came across other projects that were much more welcoming and that had guidance and tools that you could quickly spin up those yeah. platforms locally, which meant I could actually get started and Jim was the one that I ended yep. up using. And so I started working with Joomla and I started a user group because I needed other people to help me out with what I was doing. And then, yeah, just gradually got more and more involved. I had an agency for like seven years building websites with Joomla and then like later marketing automation with Mautic as well.
0: Cool. So that makes sense for me. <laughs> I had a very similar path. Yeah. I was like asking websites and I tried to figure things out and I ended up using WordPress. I'm like, oh, this isn't enough and got involved with Drupal. Yeah, I met one of the Joomla co-founders at one point and worked with him. And I was like, okay, eventually moved on to Node. So it's cool to see that happens.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I want to know how was FOSDEM? FOSDEM is free and open source conference that's run by volunteers every year in Europe. If you don't know, it happens right before this one. So that's early February, late January. Ruth was just there and then took the tech train over here to London, <laughs> the state of Open, which is the new conference. It's the first one we've had. And I'm just curious, how was Fossum? What was your major takeaway?
1: Ah, it was great. The first Fossum I ever went to was the year just before the pandemic and just before the lockdowns, And then it was overwhelming having so many people. I've never been to such a big conference, I don't think. And just complete chaos. Anyone who's been to FOSDEM will understand that chaos. But this year, I think it's been fantastic. I mean, cool. the fact that the volunteer team pull it off and they have yeah. all those rooms running simultaneously, streaming simultaneously, is just incredible. I spent most of the first day in the hallway track, just yep. catching up with people, meeting people, talking about open source with people, had some great conversations with maintainers at a dinner on the Friday night where mutually sharing experiences really helped. You know, I had some experiences I could share with another maintainer for a challenge they're facing and others had experiences with things that we're going through. And I think bringing together people who really care about open source is so important, whether that's online or in person. And then the second day I spent pretty much the whole day in the community, Devron, which was awesome because I had vegan cake for snacks. And yeah, some really great talks about all kinds of different areas of community management. Cool. So just really enjoyed it, actually. And then, yeah, the train back. <laughs> 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 like you could tell there like, were just loads and loads of people who'd just been to full step and coming back to London. So yeah, it was great.
0: That's awesome. Well, we're running up on time. This is supposed mm-hmm. to be a pretty short podcast. And I guess one of my questions for you is what are you looking forward to first at State of Open?
1: So I have a stand here with Mautic. So I'm looking forward to sharing Mautic with lots of people because there's so many people in open source who don't know that you can use an open source tool rather than the proprietary MailChimp, HubSpots, things like that. And some of the conversations are really interesting, like hearing what people are doing and what their challenges are. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm also really looking forward to just being with and experiencing the open source community in the UK. There hasn't really been an event like this that's brought everyone yep. together. And it's just amazing to be part of that, to actually realize that there are so many people around who are working in open source and passionate about this.
0: I couldn't agree more. As someone who lives in the UK for a long time, nice to be back and see a lot of open UK stuff happening. So that's going to be exciting. All right. Well, this wouldn't be a sustain podcast if we didn't have a spotlight mm-hmm. spotlight again is the part of the show we talk about something someone a project a dependency or a way of tying your shoe that we find <laughs> has been really useful just needs a bit more light shed on it my spotlight today is the ebird reviewers for london ebird is the largest community science project in the world if you're a long-time listener you know that i am a massive unapologetic birder And I went yesterday to St. James Park and saw my first Dalmatian pelican I've ever seen. And the hockpot was very kindly named Do Not Log Exotic Birds. So I did not log the Dalmatian pelican. And I'm just grateful to the reviewers for their hard work of dealing with tourists who ignore that and say, I saw a
2: pelican. It was
0: in London. It lives there. I'm really appreciative of volunteers for efforts like that who give up their time to help out. So thank you to Ian Worland Nathaniel Sharp, Spencer Hardy, all the great people in the world who do that sort of work. And Ruth, what's your spotlight today?
1: So my spotlight would be an app called Fappy Cow. So if you are vegetarian, vegan, or have any kind of dietary requirements that means that it's helpful for you to eat in that way, when you're traveling the world, it can be quite challenging to find places that make food that isn't going to make you sick, (laughs) that you can actually eat. So it's a great app because it's community built and community generated. And maintained. And everywhere I travel in the world, I use it to find somewhere that I can go and eat and leave reviews and photos and things like that. So, yeah, it's super helpful. And I love the fact that it's community generated. It's not all commercial, like come eat here. Yeah. It's actually people saying, well, they do eat and stuff, but it's actually not
2: like good. It's
1: bottle. Go to this place. It's better. So, yeah, I use it everywhere I travel, literally everywhere I travel in the world. So, I, mean,
2: I have to
0: start using that. Yeah. During, during the week. That would be very useful. Yes. All right. Well, Ruth, this has been lovely. Thank you so much. Where can people follow up with you online? Where are you? Uh, the
1: web? So I am on Mastodon and Twitter and basically everywhere is Cheesley. So if you just look for Rcheesely, you'll find that C-H-E-S-L-E-Y.
0: Thank you so much. Cheese plus L-Y. Right.
1: C-H-E-S-L-E-Y. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much. And take care. Enjoy the conference and catch you later.
1: Will do. Thank you.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long, haul war, where we come from, where we're going, lots of WH words. Very excited to have my guest here today, Mike Nolan. Mike, we've had you on this podcast before, right? Yeah, I think so. Good. Yeah, I think we had you on for the humanities thing.
2: The Federation of Humanitarian Technologists. It's a mouthful. Here's the People's
0: Liberation Front. Excellent.
2: Yes. Yeah, um, since- Really cool.
0: Do go check that out. If you haven't listened to that podcast, it's wonderful. Mike Nolan is, of course, American, but he works for University of Rochester. Rochester Institute of Technology. That one, very different, with Steven Jacobs, who I believe is actually coming on the podcast very soon. Watch for his full episode. Mike lives here in England, no longer just in London, but won't get into that too much. Mike, tell me what you're doing at Save the
2: Yeah, I'm here representing the Rochester Institute of Technology. So I'm the Associate Director of Open at RIT, which is the Open Programs Office within the university. So we're a center within the university whose mission is to essentially represent and support the development, growth, and sustainability of any sort of open work being produced within the university whether it's research, educational resources, or anything at all, software, data, journal, articles. Games. games.
0: Games. division,
2: right? Yep. Steve Jacobs is a professor within the Department of Interactive Games and Media. So that's kind of where a lot of our early educational programs have started. And we've grown across the whole university like a virus. Awesome. Infecting with openness and good sharing practices.
0: That's great. I love it. I have a really obvious question. Why does RIT need to be represented at this conference? This is an industry conference, as far as I know. I mean, it's great to have stated like UK, but RIT isn't even in the UK. No. So what are you doing here?
2: Yeah, good question. Well, so I live here, which is one part of the equation. So it was quite easy. I had a speaking slot at Fosdem, So I went there for a personal talk that I gave. And, you know, it's on the way back. But I think more importantly... When thinking about a university like RIT, which might be in the U.S. and do American things, from a point of view of being a university doing open stuff, right, and caring about open and sharing, that stuff does cross borders and... I think it's really important to not only disseminate our methods of working openly within our own academic institution, but also learn from institutions in Europe, which are spearheading open practices. So we've done actually quite a lot of work with watching the Ministry of France and their new plan for open science, as well as looking at partner institutions across the sea, like the Open University here in UK. One of their members attended our recent conference summit on open work in academia that we hosted last year in September. We certainly are in the UK, except for me. I am pretty sure I'm the only one in the UK for other circumstances. But yeah, I think it's really important to not do open in our own little bubble. It's really easy to silo ourselves despite the licensing strategies of name. Tell me what separates a
0: OSPO at a university from an OSPO in industry.
2: Yeah, a lot of things I've started to find out. OSPOs are quite heterogeneous in this way, right? Where even in industry, you see OSPOs are part of different parts of the organization, right? Some OSPOs exist under the CTO and are very technology focused. And what ways can we facilitate the most effective creation of our technological products? Others are situated under marketing and many times focused like, how can we sort of showcase our use of open source and your contribution to it as like a value proposition to our customers? And then others still are maybe more focused under the legal department, focused on risk and compliance. And I think you see similar things in academia. Some OSPOs are similar in focus to like compliance and risk, while others are focused much on research and how can we help make sure our researchers are disseminating their work openly and working in you know, open fashion and adhering to best practices. And others still might be focused on education, especially if you're more of an education, primarily undergraduate university, that might be more important. So there's similarities in how we're different to each other. For us at RIT, we're kind of focused on those last two. RIT is one of the only academic institutions in the world to have a minor in free and open source software for undergraduate students. So we have quite a significant course offering when it comes to students about free and open source software in a multidisciplinary way. Not just simply like, okay, how do you make a pull request on GitHub, but how do you evaluate the architecture of communities to determine whether one is healthy or not? What sort of business practices could you employ if you were to build a business around free and open source software and what kind of things might have to do with that? Or what are the different types of licensing? What's the difference between copyleft and permissive licensing? So we have quite a large curriculum around free and open source software. But also with the creation of Open at RIT around 2 years ago, we've really shifted our focus into helping... RIT become a real driver in open research. So if you're a faculty at our university, you know, our faculty do research in all sorts of different topics, whether it's investigating ecosystems within the Great Lakes area or maybe developing software to analyze the security of autonomous vehicles. And all these researchers. Beyond just writing their papers, they're also developing software, creating data sets, even creating interactive experiences. And many of them, they want to share it with not just other researchers, but folks in industry and other relevant stakeholders that can use and also contribute back. And they're really interested in doing so, not just because of the virtue, but because then they can show the impact of their research. Yeah. You know, many of these people have no idea like where to even begin when trying to do this. And this is where Open at RIT comes in. We have this thing that we call our fellowship, where we work with faculty who are trying to develop and sustain community around their open work. In this fellowship, we have a staff as well as students from all different backgrounds, from design, from development, where we actually go through a specific design methodology informed from kind of design thinking, as well as like other really great previous programs like the Mozilla Open Leadership course. And we do things where we like identify personas around various types of contributors. And we begin to design sort of this like funnel of like, what are the different stages of contribution, you know, discovering the project, your first contribution, making repeat contributions, making community interactions, becoming a leader in the community. And what are the things missing within your existing project that might be hindering people from getting from one stage to the next? Maybe you just need like a landing page website to help people do the value proposition to your community and say that there's different ways. Or maybe you're missing some type of documentation. So our team kind of helps the faculty member think through this and go through this kind of consulting process. And then at the end, when we make those identifications of like what sort of key infrastructures are missing, our team can help fulfill them because we have the capacities to design and implement various types of resources, especially with our Absolutely amazing student talent.
0: So I know that Justin Flory we went through RIT, and it sounds to me like a lot of run booking, a lot of figuring out what are the processes and writing them down and making it easier so you can go through this repeatedly with different people and operationalize the whole project. One of my questions for you, because you are a very interesting person, Mike Nolan, because you're the only person I know of who really sits in an all university but isn't the head of that OSPO. Most of the unspoken blood talk treat universities are like the one person doing all the things, and you're out there giving talks, being part of the community.
2: What is it that you do to help Steve and Jacobs make this happen? Steve is someone with just an incredible amount of experience and has been at RIT for, I think, nearly. I hope I get this right because century, maybe
0: three centuries, three
2: centuries, I think 30 years is where he's been there. So he's a full professor. He's probably. I hope so. I hope he's buying retirement soon so he can have a quina colada on the beach or something. Because he's been doing this stuff for a long time. And so when I first joined the team, I've known Steve for probably about a decade now. And I think we split up our responsibilities, I think, predominantly along the line of like, Steve is a great strategist. And he has this extremely comprehensive knowledge of the curriculum and the organization that we operate within and has just the most amazing network of contacts and connections. And so we try our best to, you know, when Steve and I kind of work together and plan out what we're going to be doing, I think largely a focus is like, okay, how can we make sure that Steve is utilizing this time to leverage this stuff? Because as a faculty, he's also teaching and doing all this other stuff. While in the meantime, my focus is... How can we efficiently develop new programs within our team? How can we make sure that when new grant opportunities come up, that we're applying for them with novel and interesting concepts, You know, we'll also have a team of students to manage. So when I first started, a lot of my work was actually focusing on managing this team of students, working with faculty, doing our fellowship programming, acting as almost like a middle manager, and then trying to scrounge up opportunities for new funding for our organization so we can begin bringing in revenue and sustaining ourselves so I don't have to get fired at the end of our grant. Very important. Yes. Cool. Luckily, we got another round of funding through the Sloan Foundation, which we are incredibly grateful for, myself included. Thank you, Sloan. And we got to hire a new employee. So we are actually a team of three now. Our new employee, Chris Baker, is focusing more on managing our students and internal communication with various groups that we're working with within the university. And my focus is now specifically focused on spinning up new programs, you know, identifying grant opportunities for researchers to make their work more sustainable, working with external organizations such as nonprofits, NGOs, as well as private firms that are interested in the kind of consulting work that we're doing for their own communities. So, dear listener, if you think the work that we do is quite interesting, you can always email me at mpnopen. That's Michael Patrick Nolan, open at rit.edu. I'm sorry, but I got to put that plug in there, or else my boss won't. You keep mentioning teams of students.
0: Now, I know that. Cross, for instance, the UC Santa Cruz works with PhD students, works with master students to help get them into industry. You know, they work with industry partners to work on open source together and they teach them how to do open source. What I don't know is whether or not they engage the students in actually building out the cross platform itself. And I don't know if anyone else does it. Stephen Wally talks two students. I don't know if the students then come back and help out with the coursework besides maybe a few PRs. Yeah. Tell me about utilizing the students, not just as an effort of instruction, but as an effort of moving forward with your
2: own hospital roles. I'm really glad you brought this up. I did my undergrad at RIT yeah. uh, a lifetime ago. And at the time there was this guy, Remy DeCosmaker. He is now working for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid as part of the U.S. federal government, the right, open source work. But all this time ago, he was a teacher and he taught the free and open source courses at RIT. And so he was my professor. And so, you know, I think at least within our philosophy of curriculum, when we try to teach open, most of our focus is on not just like lecturing students, but allowing students to bring their own knowledge and experiences to the coursework. Whether you look at someone like Justin Flory, an Im- immensely talented person. So Justin was a freshman as I was exiting. He
0: was also a full professor because he was like, he was straight out of the gate, knew exactly what to do all the time.
2: Yeah. Already as a kid had this you know, incredible experience with, I believe it was Spigot, which was an open source Minecraft community. We find many students come to our programs that already have this incredible experience working in open communities and from different perspectives. And it's also important to note that the process of open source isn't a single discipline. It's not just like software engineering on GitHub. Open source requires all these different disciplines to approach the problem of like developing technology in this way. And so in particular, you know, I would say with our fellowship program and student employees. They're not just like teaching us, but they're also teaching our clients, right? They're interpreting a lot of the resources that were built. Like Justin did a ton of work with kind of developing knowledge bases and so on, especially when we're working with UNICEF. We have this thing called the UNICEF inventory of open source that we built the first version of. And we try to contribute to fairly regularly. So we have these students come in from like industrial design, UI, UX, right? Django is a fantastic example of this that sort of learn, they come in, that maybe have never interacted with open source in a formal way as like a paid employee. And they learn a lot of the content and general concepts, but then they're contributing back. Yeah, was one of the hosts of the Sustainable Open Source Design Podcast. So exactly. Yes. These new perspectives are immensely valuable and maybe I'm biased here, but like I think really push forward the theory of open source and the different ways that we can approach the issue of like building technology in this very unique way. So we're not just running this podcast
0: room, although thank you for coming downstairs. And we also upstairs at State of Open have a sustained Session going on for two days and you have uh, submitted a proposal for a session, which you're going to be leading, I think, tomorrow, Hi, Dad. called Entering the Ospo Winter, which is all about crypto and the Ospo coin, right? Tell me a bit about what you mean by Ospo Winter and what that session is going to be about.
2: So I'm giving this session as an individual, not associated with any organization. This is quite a unique time, I'd say, for open source in that, well, there have been massive layoffs it's at all time. It's a scary time. There's yeah. been massive layoffs across the tech sector. So it Google is. fired like a lot of their uh, people. Whether it was done by an algorithm or not, I guess it's still being debated. But from what I've heard is there's potentially a coming strict like, lessening of funds and resources. Yeah from tech companies towards open source in this sort of massive cost-cutting venture. You know, over the last 10-15 years, we've seen open source foundations, organizations, communities really put a lot of effort into getting a lot of these organizations, quote-unquote, on board and have become reliant on funding through them. And so this could potentially be a huge issue in these communities and infrastructure that they're maintaining. So for this session, I'm really interested in kind of discussing and ideating various ways that we can sustain ourselves in ways that, you know, what's becoming very obviously an unreliable source of economic funding for these groups. What are other ways that we can sustain ourselves? What type of organizational constructs can we create? And how can we learn from this, unfortunately, pretty dark period that seems to be coming upon us? I hope that's a good session. I hope I can sneak away to join we Would but love to have you. I was thinking about you as I wrote that proposal. So. Hopefully my job's okay. Open source feel like I'm doing fine. Yes.
0: Really cool. It's great having you here. We're obviously going to see the results of that session online. There will be a write-off of some sort afterwards for those of you who aren't in the room. So given that we have a restriction on time, and this is pretty much the end of this mini-podcast, I have two questions for you. One is where can people reach you online. You already said your email, which is I believe, MPN.
2: MPN open at rit.edu. Excellent. Where else can people read your stuff? I'm on Twitter at Dunderscore Nolski. So it's like underscore, underscore Nolski, N-O-L-S-K-I underscore, underscore. It's a Python joke. I get it. Yep. Yep. Cool. Classy. Those are probably the two best places. Nolski.rocks is my website. So you can find my LinkedIn and stuff like that. As always, I am not an important person. So regardless if you are, if you want to send an email, a chat,
0: please do reach out. I'm not going to beg to disagree. I'm just going to demand to free because that's not accurate. And second question is, what is your favorite news item of local importance to you recently?
2: Favorite news item of local importance? Like a story? Yeah, something that's happening in your local environs that you just really want to share. Oh, I got a perfect Great. So I live in the Southwest of England in the city called Exeter. I'm not going to give my address beyond that. Don't do that. So there's a thing called wild camping where you can just camp on public grounds. Best thing in the world. There's only one place you can do that in England. And it's in Dartmoor Park. And so the landowners in this area being the lovely people that they are want to ban that because they'd rather have their nice backyards and ruin something good for everyone else. And there was this massive coming together of hiking communities and outdoorsy people within England that protested. And wild camping is at least a thing to stay around for now in yeah. Dartmoor. So if you're ever in England, I encourage you to go to the Southwest of the country. I think it's the most beautiful part of England and check out Dartmoor. They got wild ponies there, it's a beautiful area. So, yeah. Thank you so much.
0: You can also, if you're ever in England, do what I'm doing on Thursday, which is say, this is nice, but I'm going to Scotland instead to go hiking. Yes. Just saying. Scotland is more pretty. Slightly different. But you know, they're both nice. Wild yeah. ponies are great. Mike, thank you so much. This was excellent. I hope to have you on at a future event. Have a good conference here. And yeah, just thanks again. Yeah. Thank you. For all you listeners of Sustain, I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. As always, you can find this podcast at podcastwithasaneoss.org. You can also check out the discourse at discoursewithasaneoss.org to talk about all sorts of things sustain and this podcast especially we'll have a thread for it up soon we are on twitter we are on mastodon we are around you can find us where podcasts are made please like this podcast in your app of choice if you can and you can always email me at podcast at and that will go to all the posts and me if you have any comments, thoughts, suggestions please let me know thank you so much
1: and good day